conversation with Steve James. Steve James is a name synonymous with documentary. Some of his credits include Hoop Dreams, Stevie, Real Paradise, At the Death House Door, The Interrupters, Head Games, Life Itself. His latest work, Abacus, Small Enough to Jail, is playing here at the festival. He joins us to discuss his rich career, the crafted documenting an unfolding story where the outcome was unknown, and to share some wise words with filmmakers. He is joined on stage by Tom Powers. We are going to start with a clip. Uh, 
What have you got to announce? <laughs> well, I think Jill Soloway spoke earlier. Jill Soloway, I think, has been part of this uh, I think, industry conference. I think she was great. Uh, well, I kind of gave her her start uh, in the business. Uh, okay. She was an intern at Kirk Templin on Hoop Dreams. I kind of, I pretty much taught her everything she knows. I mean, <laughs> I mean you know, I encouraged her. You're responsible for transparent, more or less. I, I don't, I don't like to take full credit. <laughs> she did bring something to it, but yeah. You're like the Jeffrey Tambor character in that. Yeah, pre-change. Okay. <laughs> right, so, so you really do have something to announce then. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, so. <laughs> in today's conversation, which I do want to, I'm going to make interactive uh, in, uh, halfway through, so uh, please be ready with your questions. Um, I, I want to talk about the art of following a story, which you've done with Hoop Dreams, with The Interrupters, and, uh, and so many other films, and you're doing it in this film again, Abacus. You enter the story while... Uh, this family, the Sun family, who we see are on trial for fraud. We're not going to tell you how the film ends, um, but I do want to kind of understand how you work through the through the process of this. So maybe when did you enter the story? Well, uh, we entered the story um, as the trial was getting going, and. Um, I had heard about the story from Mark Minton, the producer, who was friends with the Sung family. And it's good I heard about it from Mark because no one was writing about it unless you read the Chinese American press, which you don't. I, I don't. Um, and so it was, um, so that was when we started. And um, in, in this case, it was really helpful that Mark had this pre existing relationship with the Sungs because it immediately put us in a, uh, uh, not, not just in a good place for them to accept us coming into the film, but also kind of build that kind of trust very quickly that was, I think, necessary in order to tell the story. Do they sit at home and watch Hoop Dreams the way they do It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> exactly. I don't think anyone watches Hoop Dreams anymore. But um, <laughs> but I, I don't know how many of my films they'd seen, or if they'd seen any of my films, honestly. Uh, but they at least knew of the titles of some of the films. So And Mark had talked it up enough. That helped. You're the guy who never wins an Oscar, they, they said. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so, so you get in with the Sun family, and uh, and the trial is unfolding. And in your heads, you know, does it matter what the outcome is, or is? I mean, sometimes trials stretch out long. Did, did you have an idea when you started that okay, this is going to be over by May? Right. right. No, I mean the trial went considerably longer than anyone would have expected, except the prosecution. Um, you know, I think that we, I think that we had an assumption during the trial um, because of, of the way the sons felt about how it was going, and, and you know, we were not able to film in the courtroom, so we had to solve that problem in, in filmmaking otherwise. Um, but there was a sense that they felt good about how it was going, and I think if you see the film, you sort of see that, at least in the way we have presented it to you, that they probably should have felt pretty good about it. It seemed like whatever the prosecution was presenting was 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 answered well. Uh, so there was a sense that, that it was going to work out. And I think that probably for them made them feel a little better about committing to this, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. Of course, we privately hoped they would be found guilty because it just makes for a better film if, 
did know. And I think that though, then when it, when I think we can say this without, you know, that, that when the trial wrapped and the deliberation began, um, the length of that process gave everyone pause, at least on this side of, of, of it. And, and so, um, but they, you know, I think that what's great about them is that they never wavered in letting us be there to, to document what they were going through. So, I don't know if it occurred in, in this film, but maybe you could draw upon uh, other examples. Um, curious what you do as a filmmaker when you hit that point where the, the people you're following have, you know, are going through something very tough. And, right. and, and maybe despite whatever they promised you before about getting access, like enough is enough, they need, they want to close the, the, the door. Uh, do you have an experience like that and, and how you work through it? Well, I, I haven't had experiences where people have told me that they want to stop filming and be done with the filming, um, like period. I didn't even mean that, I just yes. meant like a But in a situation. Yeah, um, yeah I've had situations where um, where people, you know, I've actually, I'm trying to think of a good example of that, but I, I mean, I, I've had situations where in the moment it felt like too much. And and I could sense that. And you were pulling, you were making and, and I might pull back some, you know, or or they might say, you know, can you give, you know, give, you know, give me some space or whatever, and, and we absolutely we pull back in those situations. Um, I've been pretty fortunate for the most part um, in that I've been able to to film pretty much with a free hand uh, in some difficult situations. Um, I find that though, that one of the keys I think to, um, to making that happen is, and it it's sounds a little paradoxical until you think about it, is that the more control your subjects have, subjects feel they have over this whole endeavor, the more they will let you do what you want to do. So what does that mean that they well, in other words, I, I, I really try to give this sense in, in filming, especially in some of the longer projects and, and more intense situations, that um, we're doing this together and that they can say no. That, that there are situations where you can say, look, um, I, I, I don't want to talk about that or I don't want you to film that and I will respect that. I say to them now, knowing me, I may try to change your mind, <laughs> but I will respect that decision. and. Uh, like for instance on the interrupters, um, one of the arrangements we had with our main subjects who were these, you know, people that were called violence interrupters that went around and tried to mediate violent conflict in the streets, was is that we would step away from any situation where they felt like our presence had anything at all to do with, with making it harder for them to do their job. And and um, and sometimes I honored that. No, and you know, and so they they felt in control of that, and so they could then um, they could then say, you know, this isn't, you know, this one I don't want you to come along on, or or whatever. Um, and and I think so. The more control they felt like they had, then the more they were willing to let me in because they realized that that I would respect that. Um, like Amina Matthews and the Interrupters, we filmed with her a lot before I ever got into her actual home um, because she felt like that was a part of her life she did not want to share in this film for the longest time. And it, it kind of became a running joke between us. It was like, Amina, when are you going to let me, let me see your house? Come on, 
when are we going? You know, and it became, but it was a, but I respected it, and, we, and, and then eventually she got to that place where she felt comfortable with that, and we did come in for a moment. If, as you're driving this, it occurs to me that I think, yeah, the, the biggest tool that any filmmaker has in their toolkit is their own personality. I mean, you describing that is a way of you using your own personality of being jokey and uh, warm, and someone else is going to use a personality of being aggressive and pushing right. forward, and someone else is going to use a personality of, you know, of kind of disappearing into the uh, right. into the woodwork. Uh, yeah, there are different approaches. Uh, I like to say that if you're a narrative filmmaker, uh, you can be a complete asshole, uh, and it actually might serve you well to be an asshole because everyone's like, oh. I do think that by and large in documentary, unless you're going to adopt the, the kind of fly on the wall approach of just standing in a corner and trying to be as inobtrusive as possible and capture things, um, which I could never do, um, I'm just too much of a chatterbox. Okay, you've already ruined this as a soundbite. We, we, we need to condense. I need to edit this. Exactly. But you started great. Yeah, so yeah, I'm already here. So let's start over. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. I, I mean, if, you, if, if you want to be a narrative filmmaker, be, oh yes, yeah, be an asshole. Um, <laughs> but if you want to make documentaries, it really helps to have your subjects like you. All right, there's the quote. There's the quote. <laughs> <laughs> because they will think of reasons to not have you around if they don't like you, or if, if it's just, if it's hard, because it's, it's already hard in a way for them on some level to have this kind of alien thing happening. It may be flattering, it may be wonderful, um, it, it, and it may be even enjoyable, but it is, it is different. And so you, you, want, you want them to feel like they enjoy your company, I think. You know, like on The Interrupters, which, which in many ways was a film that was very, there was a lot of very painful things that you see in that film. We had more laughs on that film uh, because the people we were following were such wonderfully humorous and funny people, and we just so enjoyed being around each other. But then when serious things happen, serious things happen. And it's true in advocates also. You wouldn't yes. necessarily think that the family under uh, prosecution uh, could be so funny, but the, the Sun family is. They are. No, I've, I've, you know, and this is true of a lot of documentaries, I feel like. It's like if you gave this story to uh, a screenwriter and said, go write this story, like it's just a piece of fiction. I don't think most of them would choose to portray the family as this sort of bickering, loving, solid, wonderful family. They would they would want to have it tour, you know, this whole trial just tear them apart and, and make them at each other's throats and all of that. You know, you don't you wouldn't make these kind of choices. But that's to me is the beauty and that's what I love about documentary is is that real life is always with the exception of maybe Tennessee Williams, real life is always much more interesting and complex than fiction, um, I think. You're really good at the 50 quotes. I'm trying to help you. Um, so I'm a soldier of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> um, can use that, because I don't think anybody's ever said that. Okay. <laughs> um, so one of the big uh, challenges when you're following an ongoing story is like knowing when to show up and like no, uh, you know you, you never want to miss a great moment. Um, in this case, you're based in Chicago. This film is happening in New York. 
it spreads, I take it over uh, several months yeah. of this unfolding. So how do you make those decisions about when to show up or when to send another camera crew right. or more importantly, when you can back off? Well, there were, yeah, in this case, you know, I like to do films closer to home for this very reason. Um, I love shooting in Chicago in part because there's so many, I think, great stories to tell in Chicago, but also because I like being close at hand so that at a moment's notice I can go out. And, and truth be told, this film would have been different if it had taken place in Chicago, without question. However, um, it still worked out, I think, really well, despite the distance here, because yes, we did pick and choose some times when we wanted to be there, and they were tied to, to different things that were going on, and we wanted to make sure we were there. There were also times when I wasn't able to be there, and, and with Julie Goldman, one of the producers on this, and New York-based, and she, you know, she and her team at Motto were our production central for this, and Tom Bergman, who, who shot um, virtually the entire film, um, you know, we were able to, you know, also react, and if there was something going on, they could go and get it, um, and and that's that's really helpful. Um, but yeah, you do have to pick and choose, but and you also count on kind of serendipity with these things. And, and I found over the years, it's like if you go, something will happen. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of like the field of dreams kind of documentary quote. Uh, are there other opportunities? Okay, we can go, we can go with that. Someone's beat that. Um, um, are there other circumstances where you're trying to like nudge something to happen? I never do that, Tom. No. <laughs> really? No. That's, that would be unethical. Um, no, I think that, look, the, it's, it's not. Like you bring two people together, or you. Uh, we try to get the DA and, and the songs to get together over drinks, but it just didn't work yeah, out. Yeah, that's what seemed like it was going to happen. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, the truth, the, 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 it's not really a dirty little secret among us, but I think most people, you know, who don't make documentaries or follow them that closely would probably be surprised that, yes, documentary filmmakers occasionally try to um, kind of orchestrate things. And to me, there's, that's, a, that's a tricky line. Uh, there are things that I feel are not right and up, up over the line that one might try and do. And I, you know, I, I and of course it's, it ends up being me or me and my colleagues' decision about where that line is, of mm -hmm. course. Um, but then there are other things where I don't think it, I think it's entirely appropriate. So it might be like, you know, um, they play. Well, like, I, I don't know, I'm just gonna pick one yeah. guess. Like, when the sons are watching It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, okay, great example. Um, we didn't do that at all. No, we, um, we knew that they, we found out that they watched it every year. Well, Mrs. Sun watches it every year. Mr. Sun doesn't watch it as consistently, or might, he might be on the couch dozing off because he's seen it so many times. But, but, um, uh, but we knew that she. It's she, a thing they do. It's a thing they do. She demonstrated this by kind of quoting a chapter and verse to me. Um, and we had heard from uh, one of our interview subjects in the community about they, he had made that connection to them and, and, and Mr. Sun being you know, George Bailey of, of Chinatown. And so, so I guess I had this idea like, I think that would make a great opening for the film is to have them on the couch watching the movie. Now normally they watch it at Christmas time, it wasn't Christmas time. So we took that tremendous poetic license and had them sit there and watch it and, and filmed it. But it prompted them to reflect on it. It prompted all kinds of really great things.
a great example. I should be interviewing you about this. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about this film. You have. Uh, let's uh, go to the audience uh, for some questions. We've got microphones uh, that will come to, uh, to you if you put your hand up. I, I see a hand here. We can get this lady uh, microphone coming your way. That's a lot of people here. <laughs> um, hello. They're waiting for John. No problem. Hi, I really enjoyed the documentary. I watched it yesterday. Um, you spoke earlier about um, sort of demonstrating ethical behaviour when working with participants, especially if there's like a power differential between the filmmaker and the participants. But do you feel like that same behaviour should be extended to those who you don't necessarily agree with the way that they act ethically? Sort of if they exhibit behaviour that might manipulate others, if your participant is kind of a questionable character, should that same sort of ethical behavior be extended to them as well as... You mean someone in the film that's acting yes. unethically? Yes. Um, extend what kind of behavior? So you spoke about um, if they wouldn't like something in, if they wouldn't want you to oh. film, or well, also... So here's, no, yeah, so here's the thing, with, with, all, with all main subjects of films I've done, um, I've always, starting with Luke James and through every film, I give main subjects a chance to see the film when I feel like it's nearing completion, but it's not done. It's not like fait accompli at that point. And we watch it. And, and sometimes I've watched it with subjects, and, and oftentimes they want to watch it on their own. Um, and, and then I will meet with them and talk about the film and get their response to the film. And I make it, this is something I make clear well before that point in time, because it is part of the trust building for me, is that you are going to get that opportunity. Um, and, and, and one thing I make clear to them is, is that I, I am not giving you editorial control. You have to understand that. But I, I will tell you, and I promise you, and they have to believe me, but I think I make good on this promise, is that I will take very, very seriously what you have to say about the film. Um, to, and, and if there are things that you really think I've gotten wrong, I want to hear it. If there are things you feel like go above and beyond and shouldn't be in the film, let's talk about it. And there are things I have taken out of films as a result of that. And there are things I have said, no, I cannot take that out, and here's why. That's just, and, and, and if you've built the kind of relationship with subjects to do that to beforehand to the making of the film, then you can have that kind of sometimes difficult, um, I have found that you can have that kind of sometimes difficult conversations with subjects and still come out of it like, okay. Now, I've had films where it wasn't okay for even a long period of time afterwards, and eventually we got through it. But that's one of the hard things about doing this kind of film that you have to be willing to kind of do, because otherwise then you can't give that control up and you can't go against what you think is true and right and needs to be in the film, but you still need to look. Now, when it, when it comes to someone who's more minor, and, and so I've had to do that with some very difficult, where people have done some things that are wrong, in my view, or, or questionable, or whatever. And well, I, you know, I mean, I think about in Hoop Dreams, there's, a, there's a high school uh, basketball coach. Uh, yeah, I had that, oh, so that's an interesting example. Uh, so we went and showed it, the Hoop Dreams to Gene Pingator, the St. Joe's basketball coach, who doesn't come off entirely positive. He's a coach at a private high school that has, that is the kind of dream for these two young uh, players, and it's not a great experience. Uh, yeah, his dreams of winning a state championship uh, tend to override doing what's best for William Arthur, you 
So I got along great with Pingator throughout the entire filming process. I liked him, and I liked him during it, and I, and I feel like I understood what was going on with him, but he also did, and the school did some things that were questionable, clearly. And so at, at a certain point late, and before the film came out, we went and showed it to him in his office. And um, so we're watching it, and it's great for the first half hour or so. He's loving it. And then it gets to the point where Arthur leaves St. Joe's, and Arthur's mother says they didn't care about him. They just, you know, he wasn't a good enough basketball player, and that was that, and he was out there. And Gene said, okay, stop the film. <laughs> and he said, that's not right. That's not fair. That's not why. He, he left because his family didn't pay him part of the tuition. That's the rules here. I, I, that, that's just, I said, well, let's keep watching. But let's keep watching. And then we got to the part where Williams, we find out that Williams' family couldn't afford their part of the tuition either, and lo and behold, they found a sponsor uh, who filled, who came in and supported that. And that's when we stopped and had a real conversation about it. And it was not an easy conversation, but I, and I just said, Gene, I'm sorry, um, but I just feel like this is what happened. I said, but let's keep watching the movie because there's a lot of positive things in this movie that show you doing the right thing by the way of the kids. And there were some more. <laughs> and every time one went by, I was like, see that, Gene? <laughs> <laughs> see how much you care about William's ACT scores? You took him to the <laughs> test facility. And see this? Look, you're doing that. And look how you're welcoming Arthur back when he came back to visit and how friendly you are to him and you, you know, and how, how Arthur felt like he wished he could have stayed out there, he really liked you. And so by the end of the film, I'd done such a good job of making him see it differently. He was like, at the end of the film, he was like, ah, I, boy, I'm feeling really good about this. And I realized I'd done too good a job. And so I kind of went, I'm really glad you feel better about it, but you do, I remember saying this to him because I just did not, I just felt like, I felt like I needed to say this to him. I said, but understand, film is being critical to you in, in, in some ways, and, and you just need to understand that. And then uh, Frederick Marx, who was one of my partners on the film, was with me, and we walked out of Gene's office at St. Joe's, and I said, take a good look around, we will never be back. And we have not done that. So you have to be willing to face the music. And I feel like, and, and different filmmakers feel differently about this thing about showing subjects films. They feel like they, they, they adhere more to the journalistic ethic thing, journalistic practice of like you do not show subjects films, you do not listen to anything they have to say, you make the film differently. I understand that, I understand it. I profoundly disagree with it. Especially in situations where you are in people's lives because I think you owe them that. I think you owe, you owe them that, you owe them the chance to see what you've done and face you before it's done. And at least tell you what they think. If you're not going to listen to them, don't listen to them. But you, I think you owe them that. Feel strong about that, as you. Great. Uh, I think the microphone is uh, over here. Yeah. Um, so that opening scene, well, right here. Oh. watch the whole film. Uh, we watched, we filmed for quite a while, but we, we, we wanted to watch, we wanted to watch enough of it and we wanted to get to the end of it too. And since the film was so familiar to them, we didn't feel like we had to sit there and watch the entire film. 
but it was really important to mic them both. And it wasn't, we weren't just looking for B-roll of them watching to support an interview, which we did do. We were looking, I was hoping it would turn into a little scene, you know, that they would talk about it or say something about it, and sure enough, they did. It's not a big scene, but it's a nice little moment where, and down towards the end where, where Mrs. Sun says, that's, that part always gets to me, you know, I love that part. And we, you know, we did that, um, so we were, you know, yeah, we didn't, for time purposes and their time purposes, we didn't feel a need to make them sit and watch the entire film, but we, we did enough of it to, to, to the point where I felt like we got a real sense of what it was that, that 